If you don't mind, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for uh, the power of the Word. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. We ask that uh, this sermon will bless people's hearts and to draw us to, to Christ and to Him alone. In His name we pray. Amen. I know I'm doing a series of sermons right now from the Psalms. I'm reading all over Scripture, but that's just where I am. When I get back into Culpeper, I want to continue the series that we were in Luke. But for the time being, I'm not going to be in Luke until I get back with you physically. Psalm 63 says, the, the description says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse number one says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I want you to notice the wording here, as in a dry and weary land where no water is. It doesn't say in, it says as in. Verse number two, so I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. Why? For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Then he goes on to say, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be the portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I want you to notice the description of this psalm. Look at that very first uh, introduction. My Bible says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. If the sound booth, you're able to throw up that picture on the screen that um, I was I sent to you. When we Westerners think of wilderness, we think of a heavily wooded area. But in the Bible, wilderness, the term wilderness means desert. David was in the desert hills of Judah to the east of Jerusalem, This picture is of the Judean desert. Now, I I pulled this off the internet from BiblePlaces.com, but I have many pictures of the Judean wilderness, and it is a very dangerous, very difficult place to live. And David ran for his life to that area at least once and possibly twice. David ran for his life two times. The first time was right after he was anointed by Samuel, Saul tried to kill him, and for years he was running through the the hills, the Shephelah, the area around the Dead Sea, even on into around Moab, and many different places in southern Judah. The second time that he ran, he ran when his son Absalom was trying to overthrow the throne and kill him. And this particular time, He crossed the brook Kidron, went over the Mount of Olives, and continued on into the Judean hills. 
I believe that this particular psalm was written in the second fleeing from uh, his, his son. And I get that from verse number 11. Look at verse number 11 with me. It says, the king shall rejoice in God. Now, the first time he fled, he was anointed king, but Saul was still king of Israel. The second time he fled, he was the king of Israel. So I believe that this was written when he was much older and he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Now, I want you to think about something. If this is the case, if this is later on, he's been king for years and his kingship went for 40 years. If he'd been king for years, then this was a time when David might legitimately lose everything. He might lose his kingship, his reputation, and possibly even his life. And yet, here is David, far from complaining about his betrayal. He's not complaining about that. David instead turned his heart to God and rejoiced to know that the Lord is all that he needed for life and for eternity. He was completely satisfied in the Lord in the wilderness. And from this psalm, I want to encourage you several ways. First of all, I want to encourage you this way. Seek God, for he is the only true satisfaction to your soul. Seek God, for he is the only satisfaction for your soul. Verse number one, look at it with me. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. How? To what degree? As in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now somewhere in the desert, David looked around and he realized that his physical circumstances matched his spiritual circumstances. What do I mean by that? Somewhere in the desert, he looked around and realized that his desire to be in the presence of God mirrored his present physical circumstances. His soul longed for communion with God. It faints for God. He was in the desert physically, and being away from the tabernacle, he felt like he was in the desert spiritually. In this way, David describes a predicament of the entire human race since our fall, as well as every single person. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that our problem is that without the life of God, we are barren, we are lifeless, and we are dissatisfied, we are alienated from God, and we find life to be like the Judean desert, weary and dry. We, without Christ, we are the walking dead. Without Christ, we are like Aaron's staff before it was placed in the tabernacle. Do you remember that story uh, when God summoned the leaders of Israel and said, I want you to take the 12 staffs I want you to put them in the Holy of Holies, leave them there overnight. All those staffs were lifeless. However, the next morning when they brought them out, Aaron's staff bloomed with leaves and almond blossoms and uh, became living. It became lifelike. As you study the Old Testament, you find that that was symbolic of Jesus Christ, who was 
laid in the tomb in the dark and came to life in the dark and then gives life to everyone else. We, without God, we are in the desert, but with God, we enjoy streams in the desert, symbolized in the latter prophets uh, when the water shall run from the Holy of Holies and, and along its banks, everything will bloom. And, and it says, even the salt sea, what we call the Dead Sea, shall bloom with life. And so life with God um, creates life inside us. I want you to notice something else. David, and this is so important, Notice how, what David does. He does not seek relief by the removal of his difficulties. Rather, he refreshes himself with God in his present difficulties. David's used to a palace. He, he's used to being served. He's used to drinking water and wine and eating in abundance. And now he finds himself running in the wilderness and instead of crying out for relief and saying, God, I want to be back in the palace enjoying those wonderful things. Instead, David expresses a whole body and soul yearning for God. He's tasted the satisfactions of this life. He's tasted the satisfaction that comes with communion with God. And his conclusion is that as long as he has God, he can endure the wilderness. Then third, I want you to see that he is not running from God. Instead, he is running to God. And this goes back to what I said last week when we were in Psalm 30, 130. We saw that those who sin should run to God for forgiveness of sin and not away from God. And what was David's sin? Remember what it was? He is running in the wilderness right now because years prior to that, he sinned with Bathsheba. His sin was adultery and murder. Now, Nathan the prophet came to him and he repented of his sin, but Nathan told him that he was going to suffer. Although he was forgiven, he was going to suffer present consequences for his sin. And he did. And one of the consequences of his sin was running from a son who was trying to kill him and take his throne away from him. David was not wallowing in self-pity. He was not kicking himself for, for the sin that he committed. Instead, David lived his life based upon truth that he recognized. He lived based upon biblical truth. And the biblical truth was that he was a child of God God told him that he was forgiven. And because God loved him unconditionally, he was going to run to God, even though he needed to run into the wilderness away from danger. David understood biblical truth and lived by truth and did not interpret things according to his circumstances. Many Christians mistakenly interpret their well-being by their present circumstances and not according to biblical truth. What do I mean? In other words, they say, well, okay, God must be angry with me because I'm going through a trial. Or God must not be pleased with me because of this or that or the other thing. You must realize, dear believer, that as long as you are in the wilderness, you will experience trials. Jesus said we'll experience suffering. 
Paul said that we would experience trials and sufferings. That is the natural result of living in the wilderness. But that doesn't change the fact that if you're a child of God, God loves you. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what kind of wilderness experience you find yourself in. But I encourage you, dear believer, seek God with your whole heart. Long for Him. Be long in the Word of God. Be long in prayer. Look to Him. Desire Him. Why? Why do I say that? This brings us to the second truth I want to encourage you with. And that is, when you seek God for the satisfaction of your soul, number two, God will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. God will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. I want you to notice something. Because David seeks God, he will be satisfied with and by God. And I want you to notice the verb tenses in the, in the next few verses. Okay? Verse 1 is in the present tense. He says, My soul thirsts for you, present. My flesh faints for you, present. He currently seeks God. Why? Why does he do that? Verse number 2 is past tense. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. See, David saw God's power. David saw God's glory when he was able to go to the tabernacle and pray. At this time, there was a tent set up in Jerusalem. The tent that was in Shiloh had been destroyed during the time of Eli the priest. There was now a tent in Jerusalem. And David would go up there to worship God. It was symbolic of God's presence with his people. And God, David's longing for God prompted him to seek God by visiting the tabernacle where he saw the symbolic depiction of God's glory in redemption in the whole sacrificial system. The symbolic description or, or representation of God's awesome creative power in the architecture and decor of the tabernacle. But David in the wilderness, is fondly recalling those times when he was able to behold that in Jerusalem. And because he saw that, then the, he had this future tense. The future tense is found in verse number 3. And what, what does he conclude? My lips will praise you. Because I desire you now, and I desire you now because of what I've seen of you in the past, my future is certain, and so therefore I know that in the future my lips will praise you. And so David wholeheartedly desires God because he saw God's glory and power in the past, and the result is he knows that God will deliver in the future. Now why? Why is there all this praise? Well, look back with me at verse number 3. I want to show you something else. Look at verse number 3 with me. Your steadfast love, we know that word, said, your steadfast love is better than life. God's love is better than life itself. Let me say this one more time. David is stating that God's love is better than life itself. God's love is steady and unchangeable. 
which is why it's better than even the best things in this life, which is life itself. Life itself, physical life can be lost. Physical health can be lost. And even though we value physical life, and though we value physical health, and we try to protect it at all costs, the covenant love of God can never be lost. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, dear believer, in view of such great love, isn't it strange that we spend so much time trying to find satisfaction elsewhere? Isn't it strange that we spend so much time pursuing earthly loves and so little time seeking and enjoying the lasting love of God? Now let's just be real here. We all seek, I'm sorry, let me back up. We all choose what we want. We choose what we seek. We choose what we love. We choose what we praise and enjoy. And for David, his experience of God convinces him that he must have God. He longs for God above everything else. Now, let's look at verse number five. He goes on to say, My soul will be satisfied as with rich, I'm sorry, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. To the ancient, the ancient Israelite did not have meat that often. Um, meat was a luxury item for them. They're, they had more subsistence on grains and things like that. And occasionally, for special occasions, they had they would slaughter a lamb or something like that and have fat and meat. And so David is saying that knowing God is greater than experiencing the richest fat and the, the greatest food. David is telling us that he knows the one who is more satisfying than sex and money and power and acclaim and popularity and luxury and even life itself. God, David knows God. He sees his power in creation and redemption. And he feels the truth that God's character, that his steadfast love, his chesed, is better than life itself. It's just like Jesus told the woman at the well. Remember what he told her? He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. All earthly satisfactions ultimately are unsatisfying exactly because they are earthly. That is that they are not eternal. And see, God made us eternal beings. We will live for all eternity. And so because we are eternal beings, we have an eternal satisfaction and longing. And that's why he followed up with that woman at the well in the next verse, verse number 14. He said, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never 
Never thirst again. Are you drinking from the eternal well that is Jesus Christ? As David's trials cast him upon the merciful love of God, he was not made sullen, but satisfied. Possessing only God, he was moved by to praise the Lord even if everything else in the world failed him. David realized, David realized as we should, that it is God's gift of himself that truly matters. Everything else is just lesser. Earthly gifts that God provides and he pleases to provide us with, those are lesser than God himself. Let's go on to truth number three. Number three, I want to encourage you by saying, when God satisfies your soul, you will worship him. Look with me at verse number five. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. My mouth will what? Will praise you, Lord, with joyful lips. When I remember you, and notice that in these verses there's a comma. So this is all one sentence. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. Verse number seven, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. When circumstances are difficult and you don't know what the future holds, nighttime can be terrible. If you are like me, sometimes the nighttime experiences are difficult because you can lie there and think to yourself of all the bad possibilities that can, all the bad outcomes, all the negative things, and our minds play tricks on us. And they're much less dark when the morning sunlight breaks, right? But that's not what David is doing. David, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wilderness, he is meditating on the greatness of God. You remember what Paul said? Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so do we do in the night watches? We pray. I, I unfortunately uh, have times when I just naturally wake up in the middle of the night, 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I just wake up. And I, I don't know why, wide awake. And I've learned and I've trained my mind at that time to immediately, when I realize, okay, Jared, you're awake and it's going to be a while, I just start praying and start praising God. And that's what all of us should be doing instead of worrying about things is to pray, meditate on God and praise God. Let me give you truth number four. Truth number four, when God satisfies your soul, not only will you worship Him, but you will stay close to Him. Notice what he says, verse number 7. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So he's in the shadow of his wings. Then verse number 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Two images of how close he's going to stay to God. Number one, I'm going to stay in the shadow of your wings, God. I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to seek other things. I'm going to seek you. And then he says something even more intense. Not only am I going to stay in the shadow of your wings, I'm going to cling to you. 
What does that word cling mean? Take, excuse me, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 2.24. I believe this is the first time this word is used, this word cling. Genesis 2, verse number 24. Here in Genesis 2.24, it's compared to the bond of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He will hold fast to his wife and become one flesh with her. The King, the King James Version uses the, the word cleave. The word cleave. Leave and cleave. And so they become, the bond is so close, they become one. Now turn with me to another verse. If you will turn to uh, Ruth in chapter 1, verse number 14. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 14. We'll see another example of how this word is used. David is clinging to the Lord. And his predecessor did too. If you look in Ruth chapter 1, um, verse number 14, it says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth stayed with her. Ruth never left her mother-in-law. She clung to her. And so the idea here is that I'm going to cling to you, God. I'm going to stay as close to you and depend upon you as much as I can. And there's great safety there with the Lord, isn't there? When I was in elementary school, there was a playground bully who liked to intimidate me and pick on me on the playground. Now, you're never going to believe this, but I was a skinny little kid in elementary school. And I was afraid of everybody and everything. And in that same elementary school, I had a cousin. Now, I'm trying, oh, the brand names. Um, I wore the kind of clothes that skinny kids wore, and there was a name for those. I can't remember. But my cousin, he wore tough skins. If you're my age, you remember those. Those are for the chunkier kids. And my cousin was a big, big kid. And what I learned real fast on that elementary school playground is when I saw, and you're going to laugh, but his name was Herbie. When I saw Herbie coming, I ran to Dwayne because I knew that if I was next to Dwayne, Herbie wasn't going to bother me because Dwayne intimidated Herbie. And um, uh, I was clinging to my cousin because I was safe from the bully. And David is clinging to God in part because there is safety, but mainly because God satisfies his soul. And God is the most satisfying being on the planet. He is eternally satisfying. And only those who have sought him so much that they become deeply satisfied with him will cling to him. Let me give you one last truth. This last truth is going to seem sort of incongruous, but it works along with the psalm itself. In verse number five, or I'm sorry, number five, when you are the enemy of God, you are subject to the terrifying judgment of God. When you're God's enemy, you're subject to the terrifying eternal judgment of God. Now, all of these truths that we have covered so far do not negate the present danger that David is in. David now in this psalm returns to his circumstances. He began with the circumstances, looking around in the desert. Now he explains the circumstances to a greater degree. He is running for his life. 
His enemies seek to destroy him and to kill him. Remember that God told him that even though that he was forgiven his sin of Bathsheba, he would still bear temporal consequences. And as far as David knew, he could very well lose his life out there in the wilderness. But David had the long view in mind. Eternity. And in eternity, God will judge the righteous and the unrighteous with perfect judgment. David knew that he can, and that and counted on it. Now, if you are considered righteous, you know what you have done? You have run to God to the shadow of His wings and you are clinging to Jesus Christ, your Savior. And on judgment day, when God says, um, basically, if I can play around and say, why do I, should I let you in heaven? You are clinging to Christ and you say, because of what Christ did. And you are staying close to Christ. But if on judgment day, you do not have Christ and you have rejected Christ, then there is a terrible, awful, eternal judgment waiting for you. Now David knew that God was his righteousness, that God was his protector, and he counted on it and he clung to it. Now here's what I want to close with. If David's hope had been based upon the comforts of this life, if he'd placed his hope on those comforts, on his sitting on a physical throne in Jerusalem, and to never have troubles and to never have enemies, then his desert wandering would have been a, a, a source of misery. But David's hope and joy and desire, and as a result, his satisfaction was found in the God of the universe. And because of this, he could rejoice in the deepest trials. How does your heart react to the harsh realities of living in the wilderness? Do you find yourself easily thrown into anxiety? Do you get easily disturbed by trials? It may be a sign that you are running to something other than God for the satisfaction you're trying to find in your life. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with praying that God will deliver you from difficulties. But just like Paul, if God does not remove your difficulties, you can rejoice and be satisfied in the one who satisfies all your eternal longings. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the eternal satisfaction that we find in Jesus Christ. You, you came to us. You sought us out. Your son paid the price for our sin so that we might re be redeemed. And we have an eternal inheritance in heaven. And that eternal inheritance is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus satisfies the, the longings that we have, those eternal longings. And so, Lord, I pray that we will meditate on all the goodness of God, the great salvation that you have given us, that we will rejoice in knowing that we have a relationship with you. And no matter what is going on around us, you are with us, just like you promised in your great commission. You are with us always. 
You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And I pray, Lord, that um, that truth will in turn compel us to seek you even more fervently with all of our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, We love you guys. Be praying for Heather and uh, in the procedure tomorrow morning. Um, Take care.